Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to MotorWeek podcast number 244. I'm delighted to have you with us. And with us on our screen go around today is writer, two-wheel and reporter, Brian Robinson. Hi, Brian. Hello, John. Our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos. Hello, hello. And I, I love the fact you're in the season, Greg. That looks great. And right. you are too, Kyle, down below, our road test producer. Welcome, Kyle Scanlon. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm the one that looks like, I guess, Brian, you and I are kind of the odd people out. But we are in the season. All our decorations are downstairs. But you two uh, with the, the wreath in the background, Kyle, and the tree, Greg, happy holidays. And happy holidays, everybody. Okay, we've got a lot to cover on our podcast. We've got three vehicles uh, that we're going to talk about. We've got a lightning round. We've got a viewer question from Robert. See if anybody's got any rant and raves. Hopefully not too many rants this holiday season. But let's start off with the 2021 Ford Bronco Sport. This is the smaller escape-based SUV under the Bronco name their new sub-brand, and Greg, you've had a chance to actually drive it, so why don't you fill us in on what you think? Yep, they uh, flew me up to Detroit uh, during the, the um, early November, and uh, which was weird for me a little bit because it's my first time traveling since mm. the pandemic started, uh, but you know, kudos to Ford for really making everything very, very safe and seamless, and um, to get to the car or the, uh, you know, in this case, the crossover, another crossover, but this is a good one. I really enjoy driving it. The Bronco Sport, um, you know, just to clear everything up, I think some people still kind of get confused that this yeah. is not the two-door or the four-door, like rough and tough Wrangler fighter. This is, it's not the truck-based, the Ranger-based uh, model. This is correct. escape front-wheel drive-based. Yeah, front-wheel drive-based, but all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive is standard across the board. Uh, two engine choices. One is the 1.5 liter three cylinder. That's 181 horsepower. The upgrade when you get to the higher trims is a two liter uh, four cylinder EcoBoost. 250 horsepower, which they say is best in class. Um, I think more importantly, it's the 277 pound feet of torque, which you really feel. I mean, it it gets up and goes from a stop. It it sounds pretty good too, but it, it it's like pumped in noise, so. It, I don't know how a lot of people feel about that. I think it's it's still cool to have that like nice sounding growl, but when you know that it's artificial, I think it kind of kills some of it. it. But I mean, you know, it, it still sounds good when you step on the gas pedal. And I think that's what most people are after. Um, really comfortable on the road, which is kind of this, what the, the truck is supposed to be, or the, the crossover is supposed to be, because it is based on that escape. It's actually eight inches shorter, so it's it's smaller than I think a lot of people think it is. It it fights the uh, Jeep Compass, so it's huh. really not a lot of room in the second row, um, not much at all. But the uh, the cargo area has plenty of room. Uh, it also has a lifting rear glass on the tailgate, which not sure why not a lot of car companies do that anymore. I don't know if anybody else knows that answer, but it's nice it to see fits, here. I think, and a lot of people didn't even know it was there. I I love it, but it's almost. Uh... I'm not sure. I can't really think of too many other SUVs that have got a separate opening rear glass. I know there's a few, but anyway, go ahead. 
Yeah, really useful. Um, but, you know, I think what most people are interested in is the, um, the off-road capabilities. And it's <laughs> it's pretty darn good off-road. I mean, it has, they call them GOAT modes, G-O-A-T, for go over any type of terrain. Huh. Um, and we, we were at a really cool um, off-road park called uh, Holly Oaks uh, Off-Road Vehicle Park. And um, they put us through some pretty some pretty hard off-roading for you know really a, an escape-based platform uh you can get up to nine almost nine inches of ground clearance in the top end like badlands trim um which with that you get that two liter engine it's attached to an eight-speed automatic transmission which both engines are but the upgraded engine gets an upgraded transmission which has an oil cooler it also has paddle shifters it's also attached to a more advanced all-wheel drive system which really is if you if you're planning on doing any kind of serious off-roading in this vehicle you probably want to want to jump up to that newer or the more advanced all-wheel drive system has mud snow sand modes it has a uh, twin clutch rear drive unit which which has a locking feature it's not necessarily a um a limited slip it's just it'll it distributes the torque extremely quickly and and um to individual wheels, which is important when you're climbing steep hills or in, in deep sand. So I was uh, comparing it to a Compass. Um, oh God, I'm, I'm just blanking on the name of their uh, their off-road package. Why am I missing it? The most trail worthy of Compass. Yeah, yeah. Trailhawk. Trail yeah, Hawk. Trailhawk. That's what I'm thinking of. Sorry. Uh, it, it'll go anywhere that Jeep will go. Brian, uh, I think it. I don't know. I have mixed feelings on it. Obviously, I'm a journal like Greg. That's a very comprehensive uh, uh, review there. I think it's cool that they made it so legit off-road. I mean, I think they almost had to do that, bringing the Bronco name back yeah. and bringing this one back first instead of the quote-unquote real Bronco. But I just – I mean, that obviously was a lot of money spent in development that I'm not sure how many Bronco Sport owners are going to take advantage of that. I'm not sure uh, that was maybe the great – Greatest decision money-wise as far as development, but I think it's pretty cool and uh, definitely looks cool. Look forward to driving it. Kyle, any impressions? Um, I mean, everything was basically covered there. I don't have a lot more to add. I can definitely uh, – I agree with Brian where, you know, they definitely threw a bunch of money into it, and you got to wonder how many people are actually going to buy that as opposed to going for, you know, that, the Bronco Bronco that everyone knows much more about. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a cool little thing, and, you know, I got to – I, I do enjoy off-roading, you know, when I get the chance to do it and seeing being in a smaller package like that, it'd be, I'm really looking forward to driving it as well and hopefully being able to do some off-roading with it to see what it's capable of. You know, to me, what is exciting about it is it seems to be a return to the kind of rough and ready wagon type features that the original Jeep XJ back in the early 80s had, uh, the Cherokee and the Wagoneer. I mean, I owned a couple of those plus the pickup. And uh, I really thought that the size and the packaging were excellent. Although from looking at the stats, this, uh, this uh, Bronco Sport is, is actually a little bigger. But that squareness and, you, you know, if you really want to carry a lot of stuff, square is where it's at uh, in, in a, sm a relatively small uh, a footprint. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to driving it. I think it's a, 
it's a an old idea that they've brought back and done right. Yeah, you could still get a, a lot of square SUVs like the the Compass, but they just seem to lack something in execution. They weren't as serious uh, about being all capable, and the Sport does. And that, and and as you've said, and we've all said a couple of times, you know, the uh, the regular Bronco, uh, the truck-based Bronco, when it finally shows up is going to be uh, what everybody's going to be keying on. And I know there are aftermarket people that are opening up whole new arms of their business just to service it. But it's the Bronco Sport that's probably going to be the volume vehicle. Uh, it's going to be less expensive. It's going to be more manageable. It's going to be probably a better ride, we expect. Uh, so, um, yeah, that, that was a great report. Anybody got anything else on it before we move on? Uh, I'll just piggyback on the opening rear glass. Uh, I love that they did that. Most people, like you said, don't even know if their vehicle does or not. But it comes right. in handy, especially if you got like a bike rack on the back uh, and you need to get into the back uh, with, you know, allows that. So you don't uh, have to take it off. Correct. So stuff like that uh, really comes in handy. Yeah, I love the opening, rear opening glass as well. Uh, I mean, for a while, I guess, Forerunner, I, I guess, over Toyota still has a, a power one that goes down. Or at least yeah, they like, yeah, but there's not very many of those around. And Gee, they're so useful. If you've got something small, you don't have to, you know, deal with that big hat. So kudos for Ford for doing that because that's an expense. I mean, that was not a, a cheap decision either. Okay, uh, we're going to move on to another Ford vehicle, uh, another one where we've had limited driving, although in this case I've driven it more than I think. Uh, Brian and I both have driven it uh, more than uh, perhaps Greg and Kyle, and that's the Ford Mustang Mach E, the all-electric SUV, midsize from Ford, piggybacking on the Mustang heritage. To many people, that was a heresy. Uh, I'll start. Uh, I had a chance to drive it, and I had ridden in it a couple of times. And riding in it was like, okay, it's you know, it's fast, it's quiet, uh, it's all right. But when you get behind the wheel and you start to take in everything that's there, as far as the way the controls work. The fact that they've taken their tablet and really, I think, outdone anybody else, including Tesla, as far as making it easy to use uh, without taking too much attention away from the road and combine that with a competitive price with, with folks like Tesla and a, a, a mileage, a range that, it, although it's not as good as the Tesla Y, it comes close up to 300 miles with the extended battery. Then you add in the prowess of it. It handles amazingly well. Of course, it's fast. That's no big secret. Um, I was pretty much, simply put, blown away by it. And I really do think that the combination of a well-thought-out electric vehicle with the Mustang heritage, no matter how many people get upset about that, Porsche did it, other people have done it, I think they've got a, a real winner on their hands. And so my early take on it, was uh, very strong. Brian, you drove it after I did. Uh, yeah, I got a quick uh, jaunt behind the wheel. Uh, maybe not overall impressed with it as you were. I did like it. It does uh, drive amazingly well. I didn't play with the screen at all. I just focused on driving. Yeah. The, uh, it does handle very well. Never at any time did it feel like a Mustang. Um, no, that's true. And, but it's fast, it's fun, it's an EV. Uh, it's a car they had to do, whether uh, some of us uh, like the naming of it or not. And uh, I, Greg was talking about the fake engine noise in the Bronco Sport. That, 
there was definitely some kind of simulated noise there yeah. and it was i would say it was better than most it actually kind of sounded like a you were driving a real car i'm not sure if you can <laughs> a real car. I'm, not, I'm not sure if you can adjust that or make it differently yeah. i i didn't have time to play with it but it so, was it, it sounded better than some of the fake noises that i've heard in other evs so you you have three driving modes uh, at least in the, the premium you have the um whisper and they're they're oddly named right i I can't say i love them it's it's the same thing with the whole mustang thing it's like uh, just whatever whisper uh engage which is that middle mode and then unbridled is that top end like sport that's where you think the horse the horse reference there is uh, too obvious yeah so (laughs) they um they pump in the most noise up there and unbridled but if you're in whisper it's it's darn quiet and that's that's what i'd like driving in the most because it's quiet yeah um you know but to brian's point the pumped in sound actually does respond well to throttle input so like you're i mean you're getting that you know audible sense from stepping into the throttle also really impressed with it john um you know i i drove it also up in michigan again right and you actually spend more time in it than either brian or i did so right I, i got a lot of time to really just kind of sit in it so I went into the back seat because the sloping profile line makes it seem like there's not much room in there, mm-hmm. but there actually is there. I mean, you, I could sit behind where I would normally sit in the driver's seat. Fine. And I told you, John, that I think I could probably handle a few hours back there, you know, as long as the, the range holds out. And people should know you're what? Six, three, six, four, six, three. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, really impressed from that. And that, the whole, the whole Mustang argument, I get it. It's going to die out, though. I think the eventually the vehicle is going to speak for itself. And a few years down the road, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to think much of the Mustang name being thrown on it. It's just because it's so fresh right now. Yeah. Uh, but it honestly just gets in the way of what I think is a really, really nice all-electric SUV. I agree. Kyle, I know you haven't had much experience with it, but you have seen it. The idea of, you know, you're, you're a Ford guy. you got a Ford pickup truck. Yeah. You know, you got an F-150 and there's an F-150 EV coming. How do you feel about taking these these uh, legendary names and mixing them in with so much new technology? I mean, you know, at first when you hear, you know, Mustang Mach-E and, yeah, you know, obviously you know what a, a new Mustang looks like and then you see what that looks like. It kind of, kind of, for me, it rubbed me the wrong way a little bit initially. I was kind of one of those people that was like, how dare you put the Mustang name on that? But I feel like, you know, as on a sales perspective, it's on a, in a sales perspective, it's a, you know, it's a good idea because it's, it's so recognizable. You know, you say Mustang, anybody who's any, you know, not even car people are generally going to know what you're talking about. So, you know, I was a little annoyed with it at first, but you know, it looks great and hearing such good reviews from you guys who have actually driven it, you know, it, it gives, it gives me hope. And when you, know, you spoke about the, the F one fifty EV real quick, yeah. I don't really have a problem with that. I don't, I don't know anybody that are my friends that are truck owners that would ever go buy an electric, all electric truck, but you know, only time will tell. And uh, it's, you know, it's a step that every manufacturer has to make to go in the direction to stay competitive and to try and, you know, make the world healthier. <laughs> yeah. I should point out, they've got a, um, a more aggressive uh, Mustang Mach-E GT that'll be out in the summer. And uh, it lops about a second off the zero to 60 times. So instead of five seconds, it's under four. But maybe that'll 
also handle a little bit more, but I don't see how you can take an electric platform with a big heavy battery and a low center of gravity and, and really even pretend that it's going to handle like a front engine, rear drive, big, you know, V6 or V8 uh, with all the weight up front. I mean, it's, it's just the physics are just completely different. Uh, so, uh, you know, I guess they can give you the, 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 the acceleration and, uh, you know, the kinship through styling, which I think they've done. And I think they've done it well. But one more point before we leave it on the, um, uh, the central tablet. Uh, one of the things that I've always kind of found awkward in a Tesla and even in other brands like Volvo is how many times, how, how limited the information was on there and how many times you had to touch something to get it to do anything. And I found the uh, Ford system had more information available. It's a huge tablet uh, and uh, pretty much one touch, maybe two at, at the most, you got where you wanted to go. So it was, and it's also pretty high up. It's uh, not at the top, but it seemed to be, so you didn't have to look down very much. Although I did catch myself, and this is I'm sure what Ford wants and everybody, these tablets want is you to start using your voice commands more and uh, it did seem to respond pretty well to that so uh, I also like the interior I just thought it was a nice looking modern but not over the top uh, interior it, it had some style to it. it I wouldn't call it minimalist but it was not overdone but it wasn't stark so they did a nice job let's move on to uh, really one of the most interesting new um, compact car lines in this year. Uh, we've got a, a new Hyundai Elantra that's out and with that Elantra they've got uh, a performance, a semi-performance model. They're in line and then they're also going to have a regular in model coming down the pike. Uh, I had a chance to drive the in line and also their hybrid uh, briefly uh, a few days ago. Uh, has anybody else been in the Elantra? Yes, actually, they uh, they flew me out to California about a month ago for the um, for the launch event for both the Sonata N line and the Elantra N line and other Elantras as well. But we're not going to go into those ones today. We're just going to talk about the N lines. Why don't you start then on the Elantra N line? So, uh, right. so give us any background on the overall car. Um, I mean, you know, they they threw in a turbocharged uh, one point six liter, which gives you about two hundred and what was it? 201 horsepower and um it's it's just enough power to make the car fun one of my favorite features of it is it comes standard with a six-speed manual transmission and i got lucky enough to be able to snag one of those after our lunch break and drive it back to the hotel and that car is an absolute blast i was going through the canyons up in malibu and then going down the pch all the way into hollywood and uh you know, it's, it's just fun being in a six-speed again. You know, you, you almost don't get the opportunity very often anymore. And the fact that they're offering it standard, there is an automatic that, you know, you, you pay a little extra money for. But it, the fact that it comes in a standard really gives you that performance feel. And, you know, the, the words performance and Hyundai are two things you generally don't think go together. And they're definitely working on that. They've re-engineered, you know, the suspension. It has um, – accents on the exterior that you will only find on the end line they're not on any other versions of the elantra a cool little end line badge in the corner of the front grille which is um i, I just you know those little little details i really enjoy 
The yeah. interior is unique too. The uh, the instrument panel is actually different. It's a little more sporty in some ways. It's more a little more we use the word minimalist uh, than the other, at least the other uh, Elantra hybrid that I drove. Um, they're saying I don't know what they. I'll ask you what they said at the event. It seems like the inline is it's not the the Civic Type R competitor. That'll be the N. This yeah. is more like an SI competitor yeah yeah it's uh you know it's not not the the top performance line it's kind of the you know the middle of the road when you don't want to go go crazy with it and you know get get every i'm sorry my dog is tugging on my leg right now this um, <laughs> um maybe he wants to go out so be <laughs> so uh but yeah so yeah it's like you just said it's it's the si competitor they're not going after the type r and uh, that's what the the Sonata or the Elantra N will be, which I got a chance to look at. Um, but they had that you know crazy digital um, wrap on it, so you couldn't really get a good idea of the lines on the car or anything like really? that. Yeah, yeah. So they had one at the event that you could look at. But um, yeah, the you know I'd say it's it's a very capable car, and you know for the price point, it's only it's offered at twenty four thousand dollars. So for a middle of the road performance car, I'd say it's not too much money and also, one of the things that I would say is uh, the the clutch is fantastic, and I think it would be a perfect car for somebody who wants to learn how to drive a manual transmission to learn in because it's extremely forgiving. It's just light enough that you're not really good. it doesn't grab the gear too hard when you're going you know unless you're blasting through the gears at full throttle, you get a good little jolt. But other than that, it's it's very very well engineered. I thought the gear shift and the clutch were, were pretty sweet. Uh, I was not expecting it to be as good as it is. I should, I should just tell everybody that the Elantra lineup in general is sleeker than it's been before. If you take a look at the Sonata, which is, you know, when it came out uh, uh, almost a year ago, uh, everybody was quite taken with its looks. This is like a baby Sonata in a lot of ways as far as this, uh, the styling. Uh, it's pretty roomy inside. How about you other two guys? Any impressions from what you've either read or seen? Uh, I know the previous Elantra N was, uh, I was so impressed with that car. I love driving that car. And I'm glad that the N line has some performance upgrade. I'm not, is that the same with the Sonata as well? The Sonata N line has uh, performance upgrades as well. Uh, I, I saw the press release and it said, Hyundai's hot new sedan gets a high performance look. And I stopped reading from there because, you know, I, <laughs> I didn't think there would be anything more to uh, learn from there, but um, I love the whole N philosophy for sure. Yeah. I think it's fair to say, um, you know, even we get confused with the naming scheme. It's not just Hyundai, but uh, if you're at home and you're getting yourself confused between N and N line, it's okay. We do too. I think it is a little bit confusing. It's kind of like a little bit akin to Audi's S and S line and RS and all that stuff. So um, just, think if, if you see a line written behind a letter, it's probably not as good as just the letter on its cell right. phone. I think Audi is the one that probably started that. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit to the uh, other models. I drove, I've driven the hybrid. I haven't driven the standard car. Uh, the hybrid system, Hyundai is really pouring on the coals, adding uh, hybrid uh, models to almost all of their lineups, which is something that Toyota is also doing. So Hyundai seems to be doing it a little quicker and a little more quieter. 
Uh, it was very impressive. The instrument panel has a little bit different look. It's a little more less sporty, but also a little bit slightly more high tech. I was kind of a, it, it has more redundant, the hybrid had more redundant manual controls uh, to go along with the touchscreen and actually had a, a larger touchscreen than the inline. But having said that, it was a very civilized vehicle. It was very difficult to tell when you were in EV or uh, under power, except if you watch the gauges, uh, and very, very little change in, in sound on the interior. Very comfortable car. Uh, it's rated, I think the top model's rated up to 58 uh, miles per gallon. Uh, I didn't drive it long enough to get uh, it that high, but I saw well up into the high 40s uh, during my relatively brief drive. It just drove home the case to me one more time why so many manufacturers are dropping their mid-size sedans and sticking with the compacts, which are not small at all anymore. Uh, and if I was a buyer coming in and looking at a Sonata or an Elantra, I'd say, you know, the difference in price and how much am I going to use the rear seat uh, and a few other things that would have to, I'd probably buy the less expensive Elantra. Uh, pretty impressive car. I'm curious what models like the Elantra hybrid and like Corolla hybrid are going to start doing to the dedicated hybrids like the Prius and the, yeah. um, the Ionic because I know we really like the Corolla hybrid and it right. sounds like the Elantra hybrid is pretty awesome too. So what does that do to like their dedicated hybrid platforms? I don't know, unless you really want to stand out and everybody look at you and say, oh, they're driving, you know, an electrified vehicle, uh, which some people still do. I think they're, I th I'm not sure, you, you know, except for the marketing, I'm not sure what the value is. Right, because they're Ryan very Q similarly sized. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, the, uh, I think mileage wise, I believe uh, the, uh, the Hyundai uh, Elantra hybrid falls, you know, it's, either not quite, I think it's not quite as good as um, the Ionic. Maybe it's a little yeah. better than the Ionic, I'm not sure. Brian, anything to add? Uh, no, nothing further. Have you, you've seen the Elantra in general. What do you think about what you know? Uh, I think, as you said, it, it looks good, similar to the Sonata. Uh, it's a great value. Some of the Hyundais, it, you know, their base price is very low and then but when you start adding stuff the price gets a lot closer to the Hondas and Toyotas of the world but I think the Elantra still does have a pretty good price advantage in that segment and I think it's a good overall package and yeah, nice car okay thanks everybody let's move on to our lightning round um, we were talking about the Bronco Sport it's on the way to dealerships right now Production of the two and four door Bronco, however, has now been delayed due to a supply chain disruption related to COVID-19, where it is that it's uh, the supplier for the uh, roof panels. Ford says production is now slated to start in the spring with deliveries coming up this summer. Should prospective buyers be prepared for more delays or continue making space in their garages? What do you think? I don't think you can throw anything out in 2020. Um, yeah. But from from what I heard, though, it, it really it just just come down to that top issue. And from what I read, there's even like the outside chance that they could continue on with production of the actual truck because they don't need to 
uh, have the roof to actually finish produ producing the truck and building it. So they could, in theory, build the Broncos and then get the tops later and have dealers install them if oh for whatever God. reason they had to. Yeah. But I, I, I still think it, it's going to get figured out, but you know, well, this is just kind of the, the time we're in stuff's just getting delayed and there's really not anything you can do about it. Anybody else on this morning topic? Yeah. Yeah. I would say there's going to be more delays everywhere. Stuff shutting down again. Uh, so yeah, expect definitely expect more delays. Right, uh, Kyle, anything from you? I mean, not really. Just you know, it's 2020, just being 2020. That's what it seems like, and with you know things opening up and shutting down and opening up and keep repeating the cycle, you know, it's going to screw up the process of a lot of manufacturers. So I just I agree with Brian. Just expect more delays. Yeah, well, this is our time to just tell everybody out there to be careful because um, this thing's not over yet. Okay, let's move on to our viewer question from Robert. And this is a good one. Do the brake lights on EVs come on during regenerative braking? How does the driver behind me know I'm slowing while I use one pedal driving with my EV? What do you think? I was curious about this a few years ago too, I think with the i3. And uh, yes, I can speak for the i3 and many other EVs. If you let off the gas and you have the heavy regen braking on, it actually will trigger the brake lights because it's, I mean, you're braking. And a lot of the times you can come to a complete stop without even touching the brake pedal. And clearly people need to know you're doing that. So uh, yes, with all the EVs that have done that, in my experience, they, uh, they trigger the brake lights. And obviously if you hit the brakes, you're still regening the brakes originally before the pads kick in. And obviously, the lights come on then too. Anybody else have anything to add? Um, yeah, I'm not sure that they all do all the time. Is it only in the, you're only in like the hyper regen modes, or even in the basic modes? I, mean, I think it's vehicle dependent. Yeah, I think I've noticed that as well. And I, it's no different than like if you're downshifting and engine braking, you know, you can slow down a car significantly, you know, without triggering the brakes. Um, so I'm not sure that's consistent across the board. Uh, I know that a lot of them do, but I don't know if it depends on mode or not. That is a good question. Yeah. Like Kyle, I said, any, any real world experience there? Um, well, yeah, when I did the, uh, the EV road trip with, uh, with Dave and Dave and the crew, uh, I was driving the Ionic the whole time and I, I tried my best for a lot of the time to use the, the one pedal driving and it's a, I mean, this is going away from the brake lights turning on or off, but it's, it's a weird experience to not use the brakes and just kind of trust that the car is going to come to a stop when you want it to. And I did have the thought when I was driving sometimes, and I was wondering, I'm like, I don't even know if this is triggering my brake lights. I don't know if the people behind me know I'm slowing down, but to Dave's, or sorry, to Brian's point, you know, if you have a manual transmission and you're downshifting, you're using the engine to slow down, there's no brake lights doing that either. So, I mean, it's, I, I think it's definitely a good question and it's something that <laughs> the manufacturers definitely need to make sure is happening if it isn't with their vehicles. Greg? I, I mean, it's a fair point about the downshifting, but I still don't think it is as aggressive as what the, these one pedal regen systems are doing. I mean, it, I mean, they, they bring you down to a stop easily and stop and go traffic. And I, I think it's fair to say that you should just figure it out on your own because I, like I said, in my experience, I've, I have tested a few of them. They have worked. 
as they're supposed to and as they I think they should. Um, but as far as I know, I don't think there's any standard that says they have to. So maybe just have somebody follow behind you and give it a test and then you'll know. Yeah, I think in general, if you're just slowing down, so you've got light regen, the lights don't come on. But I'm not sure that's true. I, I actually watched a YouTube video where the guy was following his uh, spouse in a Tesla Model S, and she just let off the throttle and the brake lights came on. So that may have been dependent on how the car was set, because in many cases, you can set the car for a lot of regen or light regen. So it looks like if you're doing heavy regen, they come on, but we're not quite sure about light depending on uh, vehicle. Well, if it was light regen, that would get pretty annoying to the driver behind on the highway if you just exactly. look off the throttle and the brake lights come on. Yeah, I agree. Okay, well, Robert, I hope that answers your question. I'm not sure it does, but maybe you need to get somebody to follow behind you and, and uh, talk to you on the phone and tell you what's happening. Any rant and raves before we wrap up our our holiday edition of the Motor Week podcast? Uh, I'll do my yearly rave about minivans. We had the Sienna Hybrid in. <laughs> I got my Christmas tree that's behind me, threw it right in the back, had my kid with me in the second row, and just loving life in a, in a hybrid in a hybrid <laughs> minivan <laughs> yeah and it's all hybrid so yeah, yeah that's I it was sweet man you got usb ports everywhere now granted i know it's a, it was like uh like mid 40s or something like that they they're not cheap no but you get what you pay for with minivans don't don't just go right for that suv yeah <laughs> it's the world's largest prius you gotta love it <laughs> i have it's a good one 30. I averaged over 30 miles per gallon in that. Just, I mean, and I wasn't really trying that hard at all. Highway, city, you name it. It was over like 250 miles. It was 32 miles per gallon, I believe. Yeah, well, I'm very impressed with what Toyota's doing, has done with both that and their new, they brought the Venza name back. And I'm driving that right now. And they're all hybrid. And you're thinking, I, I long ago thought that would become the, the uh, common powertrain, it's taken longer than I expected, but I'm glad it's here. Was it all-wheel drive, Greg, or is it just the front-wheel drive one? I believe we just had front-wheel drive because I noticed a little more wheel spin taking off at the track. Kyle, you're the, the guy that's at the track uh, as much as Greg is. Are you noticing any different in the way all these hybrids hook up? I mean, are, are they really getting that – advantage on initial takeoff that that is you know that manufacturers tell us about i mean maybe a little i don't think it's terribly noticeable um you know i don't think it, i don't think it's anything to like boast about saying that it's really going to give you a huge huge jump off the line but um you know and we it was a really cold day at the track so the surface was really really chilly and like greg said there was a there was a decent amount of wheel spin coming off the line but that was you know that was just going full throttle you know with a little power braking so and not not all hybrids are created equal some yeah. are just made uh, i would argue the Sienna's made just for ultimate fuel economy some have the 48 volt systems to add some electric boost while you wait for turbos to spin up i think those have a definite performance advantage i, I don't i don't see how the toyota system would but uh yeah not all hybrids are created equal yeah, particularly the, some of the Europeans that like Mercedes and all. 
Well, thank you, everybody, for our terrific podcast. And before we go, I want to thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, uh, Greg, of course, for producing today, Bob Mixter, who who, uh, developed the whole concept of doing our podcast. Thanks to Brian, Greg, and Kyle. And thanks to all of you out there. From all of us at Motor Week, we hope you have a wonderful holiday season. And in the midst of the pandemic, please play it safe. We want to make sure you're around in 2021 to watch Motor Week and take it in anywhere you want to take it in. Please, Ted, don't forget over the holidays to, if you're wondering where the show is, go to our motorweek.org website. You can pull down from the top and find out the stations that are carrying you. We, of course, are on the Motor Trend Cable Network. Our YouTube channel will continue to be uh, posting a new programs, youtube.com slash motorweek. Wherever you are, if you're really interested in finding Motor Week, you certainly can. So for all of us at Motor Week, thanks very much and have a great holiday season. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.